0: Good morning, everyone. I know you're disappointed. I don't look anything like Phil, but uh, for those of you who don't know, last night at about 2:30 in the morning, Phil bust through my door and said that Christine was having her baby early, two months early, um, and that I would be preaching. And uh, so. Here I am, and this is a message that uh, I got an opportunity to speak about a month ago at a church uh, called Brainerd Avenue Baptist, and so um, I was thankful that uh, we had a message prepared and that the church um, can hopefully still be led to worship God this morning. Um, But uh, I would like to take some time and pray for Christine and Phil and their new baby boy, And uh, just thank God that he was delivered safely and everything appears to be going well. It was a scary uh, couple of days for them. So, uh, if you would, uh, join me in prayer. Great and loving Father, you have given so much grace and mercy to us. And Lord, you have given so much grace to Phil and Christine Lord, we thank you that their baby boy has been delivered uh, safely and appears to be healthy. Lord, that is such a praise. We praise you for that because you are the great physician. And Lord, you have orchestrated it so. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to sustain him and uphold him over these next couple of weeks and months as he stays in the hospital. And Lord, you would return not only him. To his family, but Lord, you would return Phil and Christine back to us safely, that they can continue to joyfully um, serve us. And Lord, I also pray and I come before you humbly, Lord, I am in need of your grace this morning, we all are. Lord, thank you that you have sent your son to come and live a life and redeem a people for himself. And that Phil isn't the head of the church, the elders aren't the head of the church, I'm not the head of the church, but Christ is. And Christ is looking after us, Lord, and I pray that in all things that are said and sung and prayed and read today, that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be lifted up. And Lord, I pray that you'd give me words. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Um, I want to take an opportunity this morning to pull back a little bit um, than maybe what we've been used to in Hebrews, um, going through maybe a paragraph or a section at a time. Instead, because this is the one time that I'll be speaking with you at least recently, uh, I want to take this opportunity to do just that. The things that I've been learning this summer that I shared with you, that I mean, what does is, what is all of Scripture have to say about God? What does is, what is the storyline from creation to consummation have to tell us about God? Maybe in ways that we might miss and, and, and not get to see it to its full extent when uh, we're going through slowly. Uh, but whoever you are, and whatever you're going through today, you're without exception, you need to hear the Word of God. You need to be sitting under it. You need to be opening your eyes and renewing your heart to worship of God day in and day out. You might be used to going to church. This is, might be something that you've done from the, ever since you can remember. Uh, but maybe here recently it's been harder to, to find that joy and zeal that you've once found, that you've kind of become stagnant in your faith. It, it, you don't know what you can do, you've, you've searched, you've talked, you've, uh, you've prayed, but it just seems uh, vain. It seems vain, like, man, I, my heart can't be renewed Or maybe you feel overwhelmed by this world and the things and the demands that have been put on you from your boss or your spouse or your children or maybe from school. Or you feel that hurt and suffering is the only thing that is close to me, but there's no way that God is close, that God seems so distant and far away. Or maybe you are sitting here joyful, that you're here and and everything is going great, regardless of who you are, what you're going through. The thing that we need most this morning is to see God clearly, is to reorient our minds and our eyes to see the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporary, that will pass away, namely God and his holy and perfect will for you and for me. So over this message, I want to attempt to progressively reveal attributes of God that he makes known of himself towards us. So if you will, um, please turn to Ephesians 1, 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I love this book and this section. So let's read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So I'm not not going to stay in this text solely this morning as I begin to allude to. Um, However, I do want to use this verse as the framework um, for what I feel like Paul wants to reveal to us about God's character, and what I think all of Scripture is revealing to us about God. So let's begin to unpack this a little bit. Um, this, This section here is, like I said, it's one of the most deep and theologically rich sections of all of the Bible. It talks about how God has chosen us from the beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth was even laid, He chose us to be a son and daughter to Him through His Son, who hadn't even came yet. It goes on to say how we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, but how Christ has died and made us alive with Him, and that through faith, not our works, we can be saved. I love this. I love this section. It's so beautiful, but uh, what you might not see... Um, is that verses 3 through 14? It's all one long run on sentence in the Greek. That Paul has one theme and one thing on his mind as he's going through and he's writing this encouragement uh, to those in Ephesus. And that, that theme and that the, 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 the main point that he's trying to make here is that God's great and glorious love to us. And but it kind of breaks up into three parts. The love of God the Father, verses 3 through 6. And the great love of God the Son, 7 through 12. And the great love towards us through His Holy Spirit, 13 through 14. So we see that, that this is the theme that, that Paul has on his mind. He's trying to make that clear as he's writing and praying this to them, that Man, if you could just see, do you see how much God loves you? Do you see how much he cares about you, that he sent his son, he sealed you with his Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world to, for this holy inheritance that we have promised in him? But, though this is his theme, I think Paul is reacting to this in a certain way, and I think that he wants us to react in that same way. If you look at verse 3, in the ESV, it says something different than the NIV. I like the NIV a little bit better because it reads in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The ESV says blessed. I like what R.C. Sproul says here. He says, I like praise better because we can never bless God in the ways that he has blessed us. So instead, our attitude and uh, towards him should be praised, And so I like that. But anyways, he begins three, praise be to God. And then if you look at the very end, the last thing he says in this long run-on sentence in verse 14. And he ends it with, to the praise of his glory. You see that this whole section and this main point that he is making clear to those in Ephesus and to us today is that we, when we see God's love towards us, We'll praise God with our whole life. Praise be to God. Praise be to God because he's blessed us. Praise be to God because He sealed us. Praise be to God because he sent his son. And so, I want to unpack this over our time. Why should we praise God? Why should we praise God? How has he blessed us? Because Paul gets it here. Paul gets it. We can see from his life as we read Acts and and his letters that he's written. He gets it. He sees a God who is so matchless, so deserving of praise, and he gave his whole life for it. But do you see a God who is worthy of praise this morning? Do you believe in a tiny, wimpy God who takes up a tiny, wimpy part of your life and your day, maybe a little part of your speech around certain friends, or do you believe in this God, the God of the Bible, the God who is so worthy of your life, so much so that to die would be gain? Well, this world certainly doesn't. We can turn on the news, we can see Facebook, we can talk to our friends and coworkers, and see that they don't see a God who is worthy of their life. And Paul is writing this letter to Christians in Ephesus, and he thinks they need to hear it too. So don't assume that you don't need to hear this message, that you don't need to reorient your eyes to see this God. The gospel, like Phil has said time and time again, isn't just what saves us. It's the air we breathe. It's what we walk in day after day as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, I have given to you the message of first importance that Christ lived and died and was resurrected. This is, it. this is the message of first importance. So let's not assume that we don't need that. And let's begin to see this big God that Paul and the rest of scriptures is making clear. So if you're a note taker, I have uh, put together kind of three points that I think Paul wants us to see from verse 3. And I want to explain how scriptures begins to make that clear to us. The first is that we would praise God if we would see God for who he is. Praise be to the God and Father. Who is this God and Father? Why should we praise him? That we would praise God if we would see what he has given to us in Christ. It says that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then we would praise God if we see how he blesses us. That's what it says. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Well, how has God blessed us? And so, if you can, let's begin to um, unpack. We would praise God if we would see God for who he is. Praise be to God. And I want to try to begin to reveal who God is through scriptures. But this task is obviously rather daunting, and I will never exhaustively uh, tell you about who God is. Because like the, I, I feel the weight that the psalmist writes when he says that such knowledge is too wonderful to me, it is too high and I cannot attain it. Or as David writes, um, uh, his greatness is unsearchable, his understanding is beyond measure. But this is because that tells us something about God, that tells us that God is a God who is eternal and infinite. We are finite. We are limited. We cannot begin to wrap our minds around a holy God. But that tells me that this is a God worth praising. If it was a God that I could understand, wrap my mind around, why would he be worthy of my life and my praise? But he is not. He was and is and is to come. People at school, and I ask, and I have conversations with them about God, they say, well, who made God, CJ? Where did he come from? And they, they're they so snug with that, that comment. But They don't realize that God doesn't need to be created because he was from eternity past and he will continue to be for eternity present. And he created time that we live in and that we can't wrap our minds around a place without time. He created that. He spoke that. That's what's fascinating about God. But because we are finite and limited and he is so great and eternal, it is necessary for him to make himself known if we are going to know this God. If he's going to be made knowable, he needs to make himself known to us. And he did that. And the first way that he made himself known is he makes himself known as a holy and powerful creator. We can see that from the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1. He makes himself known as holy and powerful creator. If God wasn't both of these things, then then it would be scary for us. If he wasn't both holy and both powerful, that would be bad news for two reasons. If God was holy but not powerful, or sorry, if God was powerful but not holy, he would be unjust. He would be an imperfect God creating imperfect things. If he wasn't holy, he would have an imperfect will, but all of the power to follow through, all the power to to see his imperfect will through. But if God was holy and not powerful, then he would have good desires, but it wouldn't matter because he wouldn't be able to do anything about it. But hear this, friends. If God was holy but not powerful, if there was even one molecule in this universe that God was not so sovereignly in control of and orchestrating, then he would not be able to promise and guarantee us anything. He wouldn't have control. His promise would be as good as yours and mine. But friends, we know that that's not true. and We know that God is holy and powerful because... From the beginning, it says that he created with the breath of his mouth, and it was very good. It was perfect. It was great and beautiful. And he is powerful because he created with the breath of his mouth. How powerful is that? How wonderful and marvelous is a God who can speak, and things happen. You see that from the beginning of time, we see that he spoke and the Milky Way burst forth into white-hot praise of his glory. He spoke and the Grand Canyon sunk into its place. He spoke and Mount Everest stood at attention. He spoke and Niagara Falls began to sing of his praise. He makes the morning go out and the evening shout for joy because when he spoke, all of creation began to sing of his glory. And that's why he created He created that it would sing of His glory. That it would speak of how powerful He is. But it's at the pinnacle of the creation story that we see another aspect of God that we haven't seen thus far. The pinnacle of the creation story that God reveals Himself as a loving God. A loving Father. Someone who walks with His creation. In Ephesians 1-3, it makes it clear by calling God, God the Father, that he is a God who is close. and, And he said, let us make man in our own image. And so in his image, he made them male and female. And then he said, this was very good. This was better than all of the rest of the creation because we were made like God. We were made to be with God, to have dominion over the fish and the animals and the seas. And we were made to walk with him and be like him. God delights in us. He delights in in his creation. But we too, without exception, were made to sing of his glory as well. We were made to sing and shout and reflect his character to all of the world. Because we were made in his image. That we would be like mirrors. that, That when we are with God, that we would reflect so beautifully his nature and his character to others. But God did not uh, only speak just to create. He spoke to us through creation to make us known to himself. Things that would not have been knowable about God previously have now been made knowable because he spoke and he created. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived every since the creation of the world and things that have been made so that we are without excuse. Without excuse from what? Without excuse from knowing this God and being with him. Friends, do you, do you see this God? Do you worship this God? Is this, do you see God as a God who is close and dwells and loves his creation? Or do you see him as someone who just started this chain reaction and sits back and just lets it happen? That the galaxies and the human cells and the animals and the flowers all speak to us to reveal to us how powerful and intricately loving God is to us. That he is holy and powerful. And do you see that in Ephesians 3 through 14 that Paul is just doing naturally what he was made to do? To speak and sing of God's grace, to praise him, to commend him to others. Well, Paul would have been not only familiar, uh, or not only Paul would have been familiar with the Old Testament and the creation story, also the rest of the New Testament writers and almost any Jew. They would have had massive amounts of the, the scriptures memorized to be able to recite them off the top of their head. Just even a vague reference would, would pop back all kinds of memories to them, and, and they would have known exactly what you're talking about. But I don't think that's the case with us anymore. Some people, yes. Some people, no. There's different levels in this room. So because of that, let's go back and let's begin to trace from, from, from scriptures how God is making himself known to us in these ways. And, friends, we don't have to, to wait for uh, a burning bush. Eddie and uh, I were at Phil's sermon prep one Saturday morning, and... Uh, we were talking and he says, CJ, have you ever wondered uh, why God doesn't just speak to us? Like out of a burning bush or send an angel and just say, this is what you need to do, go do it. Like I, I have always wondered that as well. Like how, if I could see a burning bush or an angel or even see the backside of God, I would never turn away from him. I would never have any doubts. But friends, he has. He has given us his word, and he has spoken in many times, in many ways, to our fathers through the prophets. He spoke through a burning bush, and it was written down in this intricate love story so that we would be able to know God. All of Scripture points to this, this that, that praise be to God who has blessed us in Christ. All of Scripture tells about how he has blessed his people. We can see that in Genesis 12, God spoke to Abram and said, I will bless you and I will make you a great nation. He spoke to Isaac and confirmed it with Jacob that he would give them the land of Canaan as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. When he summoned a famine on the land, He blessed them by sending Joseph to go before them and and ensure that his people were fed. Then out of their oppression and slavery, God heard their cry. He remembered his promise to them. So he sent Moses out of a burning bush. He spoke and sent Moses to speak on his behalf. And then you know the story. He, he performed many signs and miracles in the land of Egypt. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. He swarmed their lands and chambers with frogs. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats through the whole country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts in all of their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered their trees in their country. He spoke and locusts came without number and devoured the vegetation. He sent darkness over the whole land. He struck down their firstborn and brought the Israelites out with silver and gold in abundance. He parted the Red Seas and they walked through as if it was dry land just to bring the pillars of waters down on their adversaries behind them. And then he spoke on the mountain to Moses and made himself known. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. I am a Lord who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, giving steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. He blesses them in the wilderness and spreads a cloud covering over them by day and leads them with a pillar of fire by night. In their hunger, he blesses them and rains manna from heaven and gives them quail by the thousands. In their thirst, he blessed them and made water gush forth from a rock like a river in the desert. He brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey like he had promised to Abraham. And God led Moses and the Israelites to the brink of the Jordan where he spoke the blessings of Deuteronomy 28. And he says this, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations on earth. All these blessings will come to you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then he goes on to say that I will bless your offspring, I will bless your crops and increase your livestock, I will give you victory over your enemies, I will make your name great among the nations and everyone will fear you. And I will bless all that you touch with your hands, if you just obey my voice. Friends, do you see how faithful God is from the beginning of time? That not one promise that he has made has gone away. That he remembers his people, he dwells close with them, and he blesses them, keeps them safe. Well, it doesn't even stop there. That's just the beginning of this. If you just see a God who blesses and loves You miss it. You're missing so much of it, so much of the picture, so much of what's worth praising. Because, yes, God is holy and powerful, but that God is the God who continues to love and bless and pursue us, even in the midst of our sinning and turning away from Him. Even as we curse Him and don't obey and forget to see and remember all the things that He's done, He still pursues us, still remembers, he still keeps his promises to us. If you feel riddled with sin and ravished with guilt, I hope you'd see that you're in good company, not only amongst us, but in the scriptures as well. But I hope you would also see that God is so much greater than your sin. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, just a couple sentences after where we we're at is that, that, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even as we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. That God was and is a God who blesses in the midst of unfaithfulness. But his forgiveness isn't free. His forgiveness comes with a cost That if I were to take one of your cars and drive it down the road and I smashed it to pieces, one of three things would have to happen. Either you would take the cost of the car and repairs on yourself. I would take the cost of the repairs on myself or it wouldn't get fixed. But forgiveness isn't free. It comes with a cost. I hope you would see that that even in our sin and our wrecking our relationship with God, that he puts the cost on himself. That, that even in Exodus, after God miraculously delivered the Israelites from Egypt, after he parted the Red Sea and brought them through on the other side of the dry land, and after he brought the walls of water down on the Egyptians, he sent Moses to the top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, where he spoke and delivered the law with a host of angels. In the midst of that, Israel turned and began to worship a golden calf they had made. As, they, as God led them through the wilderness and, and the, uh, to the promised land by a pillar of fire, they were faithless. In their hunger, they cursed God and wished to return to Egypt. As God, was, uh, uh, God without wavering, rained manna from heaven, gave them quail, they grew tired of it and cursed God. They got to the promised land and, and that God had greatly provided from them, and it was better than they had even imagined. But they were afraid of the giants and the land, and they turned from God yet again. In the wilderness, God again commanded Moses to speak, speak to a rock and provide water for his people. But Moses disobeyed God and did it his own way. And eventually, In Joshua, right after the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy 28, they subdue the land and take it, but they're unfaithful to God and disobey His commands. Time and time again, Israel is turning away from God, a God who blesses them. and Because of that, they don't deserve the blessings given in Deuteronomy 28. What they do deserve is the curses right after following that. That what they deserve because they haven't obeyed the voice of the Lord is is that they they deserve their fields to be cursed. They'll plant vineyards, but they won't taste its fruit. The enemy shall overtake them. And hear this. They deserve to have their sons and daughters to be given over to another people while their eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day. That's what they deserve because they've turned away from God. Because they haven't obeyed the voice. Instead, they've willfully disobeyed. This is, this is what is deserving to them, deserve of them, because it is a holy God that we dwell with. A God who is not going to let the guilty go unpunished like we saw in Exodus. That from the beginning of time God's been making him known this way. As Psalms 5, 4 through 6 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. The Lord arbors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. That we were made by God to be like Him, to be with Him. But oh, how we have failed. That God is holy and we have proven ourselves time and time again as sinners. And that sin does not please God, it has separated us. I want you to know today that just because things are going well in your life, doesn't mean that god is pleased with it doesn't mean that god's pleased with the way that you're living it psalms 50 21 says that these things you have done and i have been silent you thought i was one like yourself but now i rebuke you and lay the charge before you lay the charge i've been keeping track i know your record but friends yes aren't we just like israel Aren't we just like those so quick to turn from his promises that our natural state isn't to rest and remember God. Our natural state is to forget and turn from God. Our hearts are an idle factory. We so often disobey and do the things the way that we want to like Moses did. We don't deserve the blessings. We deserve the curse. Yes, yes, yes. We are just like Israel. We are turning. We do do things our own way. But guys, this holy God continues to pursue us. This holy God continues to love us and bless us. Because, because he is a God who, who, who dwells with us, and, and, and we see in Ephesians 1-3 that it is this way because he has blessed us in Christ. That God has been progressively making himself known throughout the whole storyline of the Bible, and it has finally come to this climax. That we see that he breaks through the creation that he made, and he dwells with them again. He walks and was made in flesh and bone, and he was made a baby. How much more vulnerable and fragile can that be? He was tempted in every way that we are, but he did it through his son. The exact imprint and the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. God himself dwelling with us. And God has spoken in many times and ways through burning bushes and through the miracles from creation, the forefathers, from prophets and kings. He has spoken. But it's all been leading and pointing to this, that He was going to one day speak and give us His Son. That He was one day going to send His Son to dwell with us. And this is how we are saved from God's wrath. This is how Israel can be brought to the promised land even when they were unfaithful. It's because Jesus was one day going to atone and make up for that. Because he has blessed us with his son. The story gets so much more intricate and beautiful here. That that as you see that, that all of these things are fascinating if we would even just dwell on one of them. But it's not. It just keeps adding and adding and adding. And the evidence that is deserving of our praise in life is just getting bigger and bigger. Jesus comes and did everything that we were supposed to do. Every area that we failed, he lived it, and he brought it to fruition. You see that he is the true and better Moses, that Jesus is the God-man who, like Moses, spoke and the seas obeyed him. He went into the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, and he came back bringing a new covenant, a new law. He's the one who saw the hungry people and multiplied the bread and fed them. He himself is the fountain of living water who quenches the thirst of the longing soul. He is the word of God, and he obeyed God's commandments to the fullest. Not one thought, not one word, not one action or deed, not even for one second. And unlike Moses, he went before us into the promised land. Where Moses sinned and couldn't enter because of his disobedience, Jesus obeyed John 14 says that he goes before us to prepare a place for us in his father's house. A place with many rooms. And he's going to come back for us. That God decided to take the curse upon himself. No one could get to the promised land. The standard has been set too high to fully obey all of his commandments. But Jesus... Who is God became the curse for us. The curses that we deserved, he became the curse for us. As it reads, Cursed is anyone who is nailed to a tree, who hangs on a tree. We see that on that tree, he took the cup of God's wrath that he didn't deserve, that you and I deserve, and he drank it down to the dregs, down to the last drop for you and for me. The curse of our children being carried off before our eyes. As our eyes look on them and fail, that curse has fell upon God. That God swapped places with us. And that His Son died to absorb that wrath. He loves us so much that He would offer such a gift at such a cost to take it on Himself that we could come and be renewed with Him. So I want us lastly to see how God has blessed us in light of that. That it's one thing to know these things about God, but, but we're missing out on the best part of it if we fail to see that, that we have an opportunity now to know Him personally. That God wants to know us. He desires to know us personally that Jesus died for our sins and took our curse on himself, and now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. The maker of the universe is making a case for us. And Jesus said that the only way to get to the Father is to know him. That if we have faith in him and trust in him and seek his face, then we will be with him forever. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.8 that by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God. It's not the result of our works that no one would boast. You see, it ends beautifully with a personal calling from a personal God. To renew creation the way that it was meant to be. I think that's what Paul wants us to see here when he says that he has blessed us in Christ. It's that, that through Christ, this great love has been restored to us again. And then he's able to go on and list the ways, that we are, we, the, the ways that we either are blessed in Christ, if we believe in Him and have given our lives to Him, or the ways that we can be blessed if we would surrender to Him. He goes on to say that, that we would be uh, blessed before this God. We would, we would be chosen as holy and blameless before Him, not by our merit that he would adopt us as sons and daughters, redeem and forgive us of our sins, give us wisdom and insight to the knowledge of his will. He would give us this inheritance and he would seal us with his Holy Spirit to keep us until we acquire possession of it. All of this God has done to the praise of his glory, that we would know and enjoy him. Brothers and sisters, do you see this, God? Do you see that God, so richly deserving of your life, has, has taken the cost of forgiveness onto Himself for you and for me? Do you feel the weight of your sinful heart? Do you, do you feel overcome by the burdens of this life? I would encourage you to confess your sins, to, 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 to confess your sinful heart to Him, And then turn and see how much is given to you instead by Christ. That's praise. That's really praise. When you feel the weight of your sin and in that moment you can turn up and you can look to the cross and see this is what I deserve, but this is what has graciously been given to me through Christ. That's praise and that's what we need to do this morning. Friends, do you see that all of Scripture paints this picture? That God is trustworthy, that we can hold on to His promises. This, Numbers 23, 19 says that God is not man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should change His mind. It says in Joshua that every single promise that God has given has come to fruition. Well, friends, I would encourage you, get to know God that way. Sit in His Scriptures and see See that those same promises that he made in the Old Testament, they're going to come true one day as well when Jesus says, I go before you to prepare a place, and I'm going to come back. And only those who know and believe me are going to come with me. That that's a promise too. And that promise will come to fruition just like every other one did. Because God doesn't change. He doesn't lie. His word's going to come true. And I think that has massive implications on our life. So I'd encourage you to get to know that that way. So that along with Paul and all the rest of the scriptures, we can say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven. I thank you and I praise you, Lord, that you have graciously given us yourself, that you have made yourself known to us in such a mighty and powerful way that even in the midst of our sin and unfaithfulness, you would prove yourself faithful. That you took the cost of forgiveness onto yourself by sending us your Son, that we can know him and be returned and reunited into this holy and beautiful relationship with you if we would just have faith. Lord, I thank you for your church and your word that because of those things that we can continue to grow and rest in you. Lord, but I pray that we would be a people who strives to rest, that we would work hard to earnestly seek you, seek your face and rest in you and what you have given us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.